0: Hi everyone, I'm your host Alex Vontobel, and this week I'm excited for you to meet Eugenio Pace, previously co-founder and CEO of Auth0, a leading identity management platform that is loved by developers and trusted by global enterprises. Eugenio co-founded Auth0 in early 2013 and scaled the company into a trusted global brand that secures the world's identity so innovators can innovate. In 2021, Auth0 was acquired by Okta in a $6.5 billion deal. Today, Eugenio is the president of Customer Identity at Okta. Pace has spent his entire professional career easing the developer journey by creating industry-standard tools, content, and services for cloud-based computing, mobility, and identity. Prior to Auth0, he spent more than a decade at Microsoft and has co-authored several books on cloud computing and identity management. Pace holds a master's degree in computer science and degree in electrical engineering. And with that, let's welcome Eugenio. Hi, Eugenio. Happy to have you. First things first, what's Auth0 in your own words?
1: AltZero is a service that we provide to developers to authenticate and authorize users to their applications. It's, in essence, uh, it, the front door to any app. So a- anytime you go to an application, whether it's a website or a mobile app, and you log in into the app, you typically enter username and password, or you log in with Facebook, or you now- nowadays you can log in with your face, too, or with your finger there's a process behind the scenes that validates that you are who you say you are.
0: Where did you come up with the idea? Where was the inspiration from? Walk us through that, Eugenio.
1: Yeah, it was it was actually quite, um, I would say, serendipity, you know, how I ended up working in this space. Before Auth0, I was working for Microsoft and I was always in the developer space. So my job there was to help developers build the best solutions possible, solutions at scale, solutions that were you know good architecture, good design, secure applications as well. And so around 2009, Microsoft was working on what eventually became Microsoft Azure, which is their cloud computing platform. And my job was to find anything that would stand in the way of developers moving applications to the cloud or building applications in the cloud. And the very first obstacle that I found was identity and access management. And so, starting researching that, my team ended up publishing a little book, which I have here next to me. <laughs> and that this little book became quite a success. This was in 2009, 2011. We wrote a second edition of the same book and it was double the size. So there was more Things that we have to cover, and that was kind of like the epiphany because you know I figured we could just solve the problem, you know, with a with a service, and that's how it started.
0: From the start, Auth0 really focused on developers. Why did you decide to focus there, and how did that help Auth0 succeed?
1: Well, part of the of the focus is just really my background. I'm a developer myself, and I just realized that identity and access management was not really something that was addressed from a developer point of view so it was it's something really universal there's no application in the world no software application in the world that doesn't need authentication but it was it was a gap there was a gap for the for for the engineering side so it was kind of like an infrastructure thing but nothing on the developer side and so we say like well nobody's doing this for developers in the authentication space. We believed that it was possible to build a business around a persona that typically was, is overlooked in terms of enterprise sales.
0: You know, you've scaled Auth0 to over 9,000 enterprise customers and growing. Can you give us just like a minute or two on your go-to-market and what you really learned about go-to-market?
1: We were a class of companies that focused strongly on what's called product-led growth. This notion that you know the product, it's a big component of the go-to market as well. We offer the product for free. There's a free trial, first of all. You can try it for free for a while. After a while, we will upgrade you to a true free, free account that you can continue to use for free, then we also have what we, what's called a self-service account, which is you pay as you go, typically with a credit card. So there's no sales like machine involved. You pay with a credit card, and then you get more capabilities and more uh, features enabled and, and different SLAs. But then you know there's a point where that thing becomes insufficient, and you need like really high scale, or you need compliant, you have you might have compliance requirements or, and that's when you upgrade to an enterprise deal. And so Zero had like the entire journey from evaluation to really large, you know, multi-million dollar deals. Everything in between was covered as well.
0: So you co-founded the business in 2013 as CEO, and then you brought in a CEO from 2014 to 2017 who had experienced fundraising. Yep, and then in 2017 you jumped back into the CEO seat. Walk us through the, that decision.
1: I wanted to build a company and build something from scratch, but I never got to do it before. You know, starting the business was already like a big decision. It was scary to leave a great business like Microsoft was a great company. It was a big milestone for me to do that, and I guess like the everything that happened afterwards. Um, was also like scary and a big step. So the first year we bootstrapped the company. We didn't know much about fundraising or VCs or any of that. I told my co-founder, Matthias, I said like, why don't we just, we don't know if this has any legs. So before we bring anybody from outside, especially somebody giving us money to do this, and I understand it's risky and all of that, but we felt that we have to do our homework be- before we took money. And so, yes, I was the CEO, for the nominal CEO for the first year. But really what we did is Matthias focused 90% of his time on, in building the service. And I focused 90% of my time on customers. Because, you know, I figured that the best validation for an idea is actually to have customers. And to have customers that are willing to pay you, you know, and that's kind of like the ultimate validation. People can give you feedback and tell you what they think about your idea and your business. But there's no better validation, in my view, than real customers that you're serving and they are paying you for that service. So that's what we did in the first year. At the end of the first year, it was clear that we were doing something valuable and that we were onto something here. And so we, we could choose to call it done and maybe sell the company then or you know continue with the journey like an organic growth or because it was a big opportunity, we clearly saw a big market that we were after, we could take the path of scaling the company and for scale we needed fuel and that fuel is dollars. And so we needed investors. I had no experience in fundraising. I had no experience in any of that. And I figured a good path forward was to bring somebody who did have the experience. And in fact, if anything, that's been my MO, generally speaking. It's every time I find things that I'm not good at and that I don't enjoy doing, frankly, I try to build the best team possible. And so that's what I did. I brought in somebody I knew who was great and who really brought in like a lot of expertise being an investor himself, you know, in previous lives and working in corporate development. So he knew the community and how it's done and what is a good deal, what is a bad deal, what's a, a reputable investor, what to look in investors. And that was that was the focus of the company in that period of time, Twenty. 14 to 2017 Of course now building a company is way more than just uh, fundraising and by 2017 we the board and I and others we, we decided that it was probably time for us to change the leadership in the in the company and bring some different expertise and that's what we did I wasn't really necessarily looking for myself as the as the candidate for the CEO. By then, I have a better understanding of what being a CEO meant. And, you know, I was given the chance. I'm a first-time founder and I'm a first-time CEO. But I also like to take new challenges. In addition to that, and at the same time, I joined a CEO development program. So in essence, I went to school to become a good CEO or the best CEO I could be. I learned pretty much everything about being a CEO. I learned it from that group and from my
0: coach. In 2021, you announced that Okta was acquiring Auth0 for, in a $6.5 billion transaction, which is pretty crazy. Um, and that actually wasn't even the first time. Tell us about that.
1: I was in contact with uh, Todd McKinnon. That's uh, Okta's co-founder and CEO. And so I got a call, Um, he introduced himself and I didn't know him from before that. He told me a little bit about his vision and what he was building. And there were a lot of similarities, similarities and differences too, right? So we were in the same domain, in the same problem space, but we were not going after that problem space from the same perspective. We were coming from different perspectives. For example, we were... Looking at developers and how developers experience identity, they were primarily focused on the IT teams in companies and what they experience in identity and access manager. So same problem, but very different users, very different buyers as well. So, and in essence, it was early for very early for us. You know, imagine 2013, no investors. We were like 10 people, maybe at that time, a couple customers some traction, but very early on. I liked my conversation. I enjoyed my conversation with him. He said, like, maybe we should be working together. And I said, like, yeah, maybe, but look, you know, I really wanted to build a company, and now it's like, if we did this, we're, I, I feel that we have not really fully validated what we're doing, and we haven't really gone enough into proving our hypotheses or anything. So I would like to take this further, maybe have a conversation later on. I got to know Todd over years. Keeping that relationship over almost 10 years was really fundamental, I think, to our success today. And so in 2021, when the opportunity came again and we had the conversation and the discussion, we were ready in a way. Everything was kind of like aligned, you know, joining forces. Mergers and acquisitions are really complicated and everything can go wrong. It's like the odds are against you, really. Somebody told me, you know, eight out of 10 acquisitions fail. One out of 10, it's okay, And one out of 10, it's a home run. Those are pretty against you. But the one that it's one out of 10, that it's a home run, that home run, it's so good that It's the opportunity of trying. And so I I look at this uh, acquisition for what it meant strategically, and I'm going for that home run that we could do together, but not underestimating the complexities of bringing two organizations together. If it wasn't for Todd and I, like our relationship and how we knew each other and how we got to know our businesses better, in terms of culture, in terms of mission and what drive us. And it would have been way more difficult.
0: So sitting here today, you're now the president of Customer Identity at Okta. Tell us about where you think the category is headed over the next decade. What are your predictions?
1: Well, the best way of predicting the future is building it, isn't it? So we are building it. First of all, there's this realization that identity and access management continues to be like a universal problem. Everybody needs identity. Everybody needs to know who is a real user and who isn't a real user. I like that of our business, and so that's the universality of what we're doing. If you think about it from that perspective, pretty much every human on the planet it's a potential user of our technology because everybody needs technology in one way or another. You know, digital, it's more and more present in our lives. There's a a software component in it. There's a digital component in it. And what binds us all together, it's identity and access management. So I see a future in which identity is central because, you know, it's us. There's no difference between Identity and who we are, and right now some of these, like perspectives—you know—I'm an employee of Okta, I'm a citizen of the U.S., I'm a member of this—you uh, know—gym—are somewhat perspectives or facets on an individual. But I'm the same me in all those components. Depending on what I'm doing, my identity, my surface, in different ways, I might need different. Information. It's universal, it's not going to go away, and it's not going to get easier because not only technology surrounds us, but also, unfortunately, the more things we do digitally, the more attractive it is for bad agents to try, try to break into those systems and steal our information or use that information to steal some other valuable things. And so Our work has those two components, the security angle, but also the experience angle, the angle of how do we make systems more robust, more secure without being a pain to use. So our goal is to make identity go away, to be something that is behind the scenes, looking after you, always protecting you, and always be on the highest levels of protection, without being an annoyance.
0: What's the hardest part of realizing that vision? Can you give us a sense, maybe technically, or what's the hardest lift of the build to do that?
1: Some people have asked me, not anymore, but they used to ask me, really? Authentication? Username and passwords? That's what you do? That's a solved problem. How hard could it be? Very hard. Because you know, even in the simplest, more primitive form, which is a username and a password, Once you start asking questions, it becomes a pretty complicated problem. How do you store passwords? Well, you don't store passwords. You store hashes of passwords. Okay, why? Well, because if somebody breaks into your system and they have passwords, then you have all the passwords in clear text. Which algorithm do you use to hash them? And there's like 20 options there. How do you know which one to use? What happens if somebody forgets the password? You send that email, is that email going to expire? How long is the expiration? All of a sudden, a problem that was a window with two text boxes and a button becomes a big, big problem. Nowadays, it becomes even more complicated because username and password is not a great way of authenticating users. It's the way we've been doing that forever. It has not changed in half a century. We put the blame on our users like we blame people for reusing passwords across multiple systems. Yeah, because it's difficult to remember. We're not designed to remember complicated passwords. So now we live in a world where there's not one computer that you deal with. No, we, now we deal with hundreds of systems, each one with different security profiles. But all that adds complexity to the implementation. And not only that, technology is agnostic of the purpose it's being used for. So you can use technology for great things and for good things. You can also use the same great technology for bad things. And so it not only becomes more complicated from a context on how people authenticate, it also becomes more difficult to defend against. And that's what makes it really, really difficult. You know, our biggest competitor is the install base is like 50 years of legacy and home-built systems that maybe were okay 40 years ago, but they're not okay nowadays anymore. That's what we need to replace and modernize.
0: Can you just quickly give us a a tip or two that we should all be implementing just to be safer online?
1: Do not remember passwords. Just use a password manager. There's many out there that are pretty decent and they generate complicated passwords for you. It's one place. Never reuse a password across multiple sites. That's essentially what a password manager will allow you to do is prevent that from happening or make that e- not a, a necessity. The second thing you should do is to turn on multi-factor authentication if it's available. Yep. And if it's not available, you should probably consider using an alternative service that does offer you multi-factor authentication.
0: If we look a decade out, give us another prediction that feels obvious to you that will happen.
1: You know, technology, we're not gonna have less technology around us. We're gonna have more technology around us. We'll be, be surrounded by a digital world. We will be relying on technology for pretty much every aspect of our lives in a much more integrated way. There's an opportunity for us to reverse that relationship and put the control back into the user. So similar to what happens, I go to the supermarket here, I buy a bottle of wine, they ask me for my ID as well. But that's a good example of a reversal of the control of the identity. All they care is the proof that I'm over 21 here in the US. That's all they need to know. And so it just happens that the driver's license it's a device that they trust because you cannot fake a driver's license easily, I guess. And so all they need to know is that, yeah, I'm over 21. That's a reversal of that. I don't need to enter a password. And so I think there's an opportunity for us to create systems that have the equivalent of that. This is an area that we are actually investigating, which is the, the world of like, these verifiable credentials. Do you have a degree, you know, a university degree? Well, how do I prove to the world that I I have a degree in engineering? The only institution that knows that is my college. So imagine a world where the college can create a credential for me that says, yeah, Eugenio is an electrical engineer. He graduated from this school. You know, that's a fact that it's a verifiable fact. So... That, I think, it's it's kind of emerging. We use it all the time in some cases. You know, you board an airplane, all you need is a boarding pass. You don't need more documentation. You just need a boarding pass. The boarding pass is a credential of sorts. So we can apply that everywhere, which will simplify not just the user experience, but will also address another increasing concern that I think is becoming more prevalent in our world, And it's a concern of privacy. They don't need my address. They don't need my full name. All they need to know is that I am over 21.
0: And we'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on, for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carta knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close a round. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suites helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Eugenio, I want to kind of go back to the beginning. Can we go back to what your parents did? Is there something that your parents did that you attribute to how you think and move through the world?
1: My parents were very supportive of my ideas and and experiments and education. Education was very important in our family. And maybe this, this notion of constant improvement that was instilled in me and in my sister as well. There is this notion that you you never stop learning in life. I mean, you stop learning when you choose to stop learning, but you can learn all all life, your entire life. And my mom used to tell me, knowledge doesn't take any space, so you can always learn something new. And they encourage me to do to try and to fail. Failure. We we have a strange relationship with failure. I think uh, we don't like it. But sometimes it's the only way of learning Totally. And the only way of trying. So if you're not failing at anything, you're probably not trying enough. And so in a way, over over years and what I've learned from them is that I kind of embraced that way and, and also embraced what life presented me as a gift, as an, an opportunity to learn and improve and prove yourself
0: you and your wife signed a contract outlining the milestones that you would hit as part of an experiment of giving uh, Auth0 a go. Tell us a minute on that.
1: It was because of her that I started Auth0 because, you know, she, she told me something that I never forgot. She said, you will always regret it if you don't try. You will try. You might try. The odds are against you very likely. She's a very realist person. (laughs) And so she didn't have a very high hopes on this going anywhere, but she said like, look, you know, you should try. And then you should look back and say, the outcome is not warranted, but what you did for an outcome is in your power. You cannot guarantee an exit and a successful acquisition, an IPO. None of that is up to you. But what you do Two towards that goal is up to you. By the way, I'm going to give you some guardrails. She wrote the contract and it was written in a piece of paper, and it was he had like five statements in it, and we signed the deal, and there was a clause that says, if none of this happens, then you know you try, you go back and you know reapply to Microsoft or do something else. So we signed the deal, and you know what? I kept that paper on my desk for the entire year next to me as a constant reminder that I couldn't waste any time. <laughs> you know? I had one year to prove this. And uh, it was even you know, as a, no, 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 like maybe psychologically focused me on, you know, the important things. And, you know, I thank her for that. There's countless other things that she's done for me.
0: I wanna quickly, end on a quick fire round. I'm going to just ask some questions. And I just wonder the first thing that comes to your head through all the stress of building a business. What's the thing that keeps you stable?
1: I put a lot of effort in living a balanced life and I prioritize myself in my life, being healthy, being having a life outside work, meaning that I have other interests outside my job has kept me you know, kind of same, the usual things, family and our sons, uh, my wife, of course, but I have other interests, which I prioritize. So, you know, I go to the gym, I read a lot, I study, my calendar has slots for things that are my time.
0: What is your favorite interview question that you like to ask somebody?
1: So I always like to ask people about their hobbies. And that's because, you know, hobbies tell me so much more about a person, you know, like they tell me about their curiosity. Sometimes we have similar hobbies. You know, that's when people in an interview, they show me a little bit more of who they really are. You know, everybody goes so well prepared to an interview that when I ask about a hobby, that's more like a like a true self, you know.
0: What was your biggest pinch me moment to date?
1: The first moment was like signing those deals that I I never imagined or I I imagined, but they were so
0: far away that when it happened, so like, look what we've done. A book you come back to time and time again.
1: It's called The Enchiridion, which it's a Greek word for the manual. And it was written by a Greek philosopher. It's a philosophy book. So it's a book with recipes for life.
0: My absolute last question is outside of your own category, what is one other category of innovation that you are excited about? How
1: AI and machines can transform the world that we live in. I don't know if, how exactly will it will evolve. I'm still write applications in my, as a side activity just to stay fit with technology. And so I wrote a very simple application as an, as an assistant. For me, clearly English is not my first language. Sometimes I need a little bit of help. And uh, so I, I wrote an assistant, that it's essentially use, using the APIs that are now available from companies like OpenAI to essentially edit what I wrote. I am amazed at how precise and so much better. They became so much better than where they, where they were like years ago. And so I think we're going to see this um, as a component of our applications. I don't think it's going to take over the world or any of the crazy, more extreme, uh, paranoid <laughs> views of, of machines taking on the world. I see it as a massive opportunity to get more things done and lowering the bar of entry of knowledge for everybody.
0: Eugenio, this has been absolutely delightful. For everybody out there, if you haven't checked out Okta, please do. Auth0 is an incredible tool. And Eugenio, you've inspired us so much just by listening to this. There's just so much wisdom in your mind. And also, what's clear to me is like, this is in many ways, chapter one for you. Uh, and it's so clear to me that you have a big future still ahead of you, um, which is amazing. And at some point I wanna to get to meet your wife. Everybody out there, thank you so much for tuning in. You can catch me next week for the Founders Project with Alex Montobel and Eugenio, we're rooting for you. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Alexa.